Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. It's Doug Cunnington here. And in this episode, I'm going to talk about the minimum viable audience. And this is really the answer to a few questions from Stephen. And you may remember Stephen asked about buying a website and a lot of details about buying a website a few weeks ago. And this was sort of a follow-up unrelated when I asked him about other show ideas. He had several questions about growing an audience and really about like having a platform and and what it really takes. So I'm going to lean on smarter people than myself, like Seth Godin, Kevin Kelly, who have a couple very good articles that kind of lay this out and give you a different way to think about it. So we'll talk about that. And then we have a few questions that, uh, you know, were sent in via email. So thanks everyone for that. One of them is kind of related to audience building, although it's very specific. So it fits in kind of nicely. Didn't even plan it that way, but it's nice when it works out. So I'll tell a little bit of a story about, you know, my start. Now, before I get into that, I guess it makes sense to read Stephen's question here. So he says, how big of an audience do you need to sell a course on your own platform, not Udemy or a similar platform where they have like a library of courses? I think Skillshare is sort of similar to that too. So how big of an audience do you need? You probably realize because I opened this whole episode talking about Seth Godin and the minimum viable audience. So he has a post, I'm going to link to it. It's actually from 2017, but I heard about this concept from Seth from his podcast called Akimbo. Highly recommend it if you have not checked it out. Seth Godin is a really good teacher. (laughs) He's very good speaking and presenting ideas, and it's almost... I mean, this is one of the guys where it's almost like a self-help book or a self-help podcast framed in the the business world, framed in entrepreneurship and being creative and doing things on your own. So a lot of it, it like gets you motivated. And honestly, when I when I think about Seth and his podcast or his books, which I love, you know, all the stuff that he puts out, I usually don't come away with specific tactics or ideas on how to do something. It's more big picture strategic ideas. So keep that in mind. It doesn't really give you the nuts and bolts. So I'll give you a little bit of background on me starting Niche Site Project. I learned about niche sites and making money on the side from Pat Flynn, Spencer Hawes. Those were the major influences. And if you haven't checked those guys out, they're awesome as well. And in circa 2013, 2014, I was listening to their podcast, reading their blogs really obsessively. I found a little bit of success in my own niche sites following, you know, some of their advice, learning from other sources. And then like many people, I thought, well, I want to, I want to start a blog too. And I want to share my story, which I think, I don't know if it's like a survivorship bias thing or what the mechanism is, but Usually people learn from other folks and maybe it's a natural progression where you see your mentors, even if they're not actually your mentor, right? They're a mentor from afar via a blog or a podcast. And and you think, well, I want to do that too. You want to follow in their footsteps. So 
I got that in my head and really didn't think I had anything unique to offer. But a lot of times you hear, you know, you're unique, whatever your spin, whatever your personality brings to the table, maybe people want to follow that even if you're talking about the same things. And I saw that. I saw that over and over again where there were certain people that I just didn't want to listen to because I didn't like their personality as much. And other folks I found uh, engaging. I really, I was able to learn from them. I didn't find them boring or offensive or anything like that. So I gravitated towards them. So eventually I got it in my head, hey, I'm going to start a blog niche site project. By the way, I did get Spencer's permission to use that name. He said, that's cool. Go for it if you want to. So I appreciate that, Spencer. And off the bat, I was thinking, well, I want to make sure that this is not just a creative outlet, but I want to make sure this is part of like a business that I'm moving forward with. So I immediately, almost immediately came out with a product and Spencer was instrumental in helping me get started because he featured me as a success story on his blog and the podcast, which helped kickstart the whole thing. It helped get that initial audience um, to pay attention and to start my email list. So I started basically with this minimum viable audience idea. I launched a product within, I think like a month or two of launching my blog. It was an ebook, which were a little bit more popular back then in 20, late 2013, early 2014. I launched an ebook. I pre-sold the ebook and I thought, hey, if I can just sell 10 of these, I will write the book. So I sold, I think 12, I think there was one refund and it was enough for me to move forward. So I spent about four, four to six weeks or so writing the book and then the rest is history. I've like kept iterating on the same kind of ideas, refining it, doing better, upgrading the you know course and what I was selling like over time and then expanding the platform overall. And I mean, I, I've laid out a couple things here. Number one, I started with only 10 customers and I think I only, on average, I think it was maybe like $90 per book. I had a couple tiers, so I can't remember exactly what was going on. But for me, I was like, hey, that's an extra $1,100 in my pocket that I didn't have before. And it was all created by something that I did, which was amazing. So let me read a little bit of Seth's blog about the minimum viable audience. So I'm not going to read the whole thing here. You should check it out. It's, a, it's I mean, it's only like 200 words or so, but... He states that the solution is simple, but counterintuitive. Stake out the smallest market that you can imagine. The smallest market that you can sustain. Let me read that again. (laughs) The smallest market that can sustain you. The smallest market that you can adequately, adequately serve. This goes against everything you learned in capitalism school, but in fact, it's the simplest way to matter. When you have your eyes firmly focused on the minimum viable audience, you will double down on all the changes you seek to make. Your quality, your story, and your impact will all get better. Then, ironically enough, the word will spread. And I try to keep this in mind, especially in the echo chamber of YouTube, where 
people will give you your their opinion and not really understand what you're trying to do. They may not be anyone who ever wants to work with you. They may just be a squeaky wheel. Now, the hard part is sometimes you have smart people that do want to work with you and you have to figure out how to filter out the noise. So it's a little tough sometimes, but the cool part is when you start when you start doing it and you, I mean, I'm producing so much content, it would be exhausting and impossible for me not to just lay it out um, in my own personality, in my own way, because um, yeah, it would just be exhausting to try to have like some other fake persona and just have, I mean, it would just kind of be full of shit too. So people would see through that. But the cool thing is, when you kind of ignore the people that don't get it and then you focus on the people that do get it, everything just kind of works out. And the the key parts here are aiming for the smallest market that can sustain you and the smallest market that you can serve. So that's like the key here. And when I look back at what I was doing in 2013, I really was just thinking, okay, if I can get a couple people to buy in, to believe in what I'm doing and like have the faith to, you know, throw a hundred bucks my way, then maybe it's going to work out. So when we move on to Kevin Kelly, and I think probably a lot of people have heard of the concept of the thousand true fans, which I mean, he, I think he wrote this some time ago and then I heard about it initially on the Tim Ferriss podcast. And then it's like talked about all over the place. The tropical MBA has some of their own uh, sort of spinoff ideas that are based on a thousand true fans where I'm going to get it wrong. Sorry, Dan and Ian, but I think it's like 10, 10 true clients, a hundred somethings. And then I can't remember. I can't remember that one. Sorry. I should have looked that one up. But anyway, this thousand true fans idea is, really about imagining people that will buy anything that you put out. They're such big fans. They're going to buy, you know, whatever book you publish, whatever album you put out, they will buy t-shirts. If you sell them, they'll buy hats from you, Wh- whatever, whatever you want to put out there, they will buy it to support you because they like what you're doing so much. They're really true fans. And I, you know, honestly, I, if I had to just throw out and estimate a number, I think I probably have maybe like 20 or 30 true fans. Now, if you're if you're out there and you're thinking, Doug, I am a true fan, well, you could buy buy some more than my courses, but I know I haven't sold um, you know, a thousand courses over uh the, the course of the last few years. But I mean, I'm making enough to sustain myself and people are getting a lot out of it. So I feel good with that. The the point I'm trying to make there is a thousand true fans is actually kind of difficult to get depending on what you're doing. So you can keep in mind that you don't necessarily need a thousand true fans. You can have maybe a smaller number of like casual fans and have different price points. But the math here when Kevin Kelly was was mapping this out is if you can have a thousand people that will maybe go to see you in concert and pay a hundred bucks. And maybe you earn a hundred bucks from each of those true fans, 1000 of them, that's a hundred K a year. So a hundred dollars of profit from each true fan. And, you know, sure you can 
throw in a, a hat and a beer and a couple other things that people may buy at a concert. Or if you're a course creator, maybe, you know, they buy your course that's $120. That is probably $100 profit. And then you're going to be able to, you know, sustain yourself. Most people are going to be fairly happy with 100K per year. Even after you pay taxes, that's a, you know, decent amount of money for most, most folks in most parts of the world. Okay. Back to Steven's specific question. How big of an audience do you need to sell a course on your own platform? So I honestly recommend that people do what I did just because it helps you build momentum early and it helps you learn each piece of the process along the way. Creating the product, marketing the product, doing customer service, using the technology that you need to use to sell a course. And the thing is, um, I was actually talking to a friend the other day who he's done a course or two in the past, but he's sort of dragging his feet. He wants to build his audience more before he sells anything else. So he's, in my opinion, he's putting more and more pressure on himself. If he builds his audience, maybe let's say he doubles it. Let's say he five X's it and he'll certainly sell more products, right? Whatever he ends up selling, he'll sell more of those products if he does build the audience, but he may not have the same skills to serve that larger audience. And in in my opinion, I mean, this is, you know, one of the classic biases that, you know, people will have, I don't know what this one's called, confirmation bias, something like that. And I'm thinking, Hey, this worked for me. And I, you know, I can see how and why it worked for me in hindsight, but during the, you know, the launches and those products, I didn't know if any of this stuff was going to work. So each step along the way, I was like gaining a little momentum and, you know, selling 10 of those products. Like it's the coolest thing when you see people paying you directly on PayPal, it's, you know, sending me an email, it's, you know, chiming on my phone. I can see that people just bought something. So like I said, in my opinion, I would say you probably only need, you know, a few a few dozen people to kind of pay attention to you. And early on, those people are going to be super interested in what you're doing. If you're bringing something unique to the table, I tried to put my spin of project management and coming from an IT background. Turns out a lot of people in my audience have the same background. I think that's probably true. A lot of times it's a self-selecting process. So, you know, in my case, those people luckily happen to have extra money to buy courses and they wanted to learn how to make money on the side. So again, just to emphasize, I found it super helpful to learn the skills along the way when I was just dealing with a few people who were very patient with me. I don't think I made any, you know, massive blunders or anything like that, but I know maybe there were a couple typos in the ebook and they were patient. They, they were like, Hey, there's a couple typos. I'll send you my notes for anything that I see. So they were very helpful. They were very patient and it was only 10 people. So if I would have sold to a hundred, I would have made a lot more money, but it also would have been a little bit more stressful and a lot more people would have seen. And maybe those people would not have been as patient with me as the, you know, initial true fans that were like, Hey, I believe in what you're doing. I'm going to check it out. And I support you. So that said, 
So I said a couple dozen. It depends on how things are 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 in your specific platform and your audience too. So for example, if you have an email list that is very closely targeted to exactly what you're selling, you may be able to have a, you know, a smaller audience. On YouTube, in my opinion, at least for my audience and the people that, you know, tend to check out my videos, it doesn't seem to be as strong of an audience for purchasers and buyers. And I think part of it is you know, my products are expensive and I think a lot of my audience, they don't have the money to invest. So it's just a little bit different. It's a different audience. So in, on YouTube, you may need a lot more people to actually support your, uh, your products and support you in general. And actually, I mean, I can riff on YouTube a little bit too. I mean, on ads, you're not going to make that much money. Just in general, you're not going to make that much money. I don't even monetize, um, the majority of my videos, I, if I had to guess, I don't even know, it must be like 20, 25% of my videos are monetized. And in general, it's because I want people to pay attention to me, not the folks that are running ads on my videos. So maybe sometime I'll, if I'm, if I'm going to phone it in and I don't, I'm not like actively trying to sell my own courses, then maybe I can just turn ads on, on everything. And I'd probably, you know, make, a decent amount more than I am right now, which right now I think I'm making not quite enough to cover my video editor. So technically, you know, if you just look at YouTube in isolation in a silo, it looks like I'm losing a little money on that. But I mean, YouTube is very helpful to build trust and get people in the door. Okay. Moving on. The next question Stephen asks is how big of an audience to create a membership site? So that I have no no clue. I have never done a membership site. I think one of the issues with a membership site that's kept me away from it is generally people will expect ongoing new content and new material. And I haven't you know, felt the need to do that. It could be a good motivating factor to produce new courses all the time. But in, in the things that I want to do, I don't want to have that like on my shoulders all the time. I'd like to have the flexibility. So I'm sure there's ways to structure it in a different way. And again, I would aim for the smallest audience, the minimum viable audience that you can tolerate same reasons. I mean, you can learn, you can learn what to do. And I mean, people can, you know, start a membership site and then realize, Hey, I love this and I want to expand it. Or you may realize, Hey, this doesn't look like a good idea to me. And I want to only sell courses or I don't want to sell courses at all. I just want to produce content. So there's, you know, there's really no wrong answers here. I do want to give a shout out to Ezoic and the site speed accelerator that helps your site load faster they guarantee an 80 or higher if you use the SiteSpeed Accelerator, and that's on the Google PageSpeed Insights score. So it helps optimize images, lazy loading, minifying the uh, you know CSS and the HTML and all that other business. And I mention this every time, but definitely try and get your site loading quickly <laughs> on your own before you use any tool, whether it's a site speed accelerator or something else. So make sure your hosting plan is sufficient for the traffic. 
make sure that you don't have too many websites running on your hosting plan. I know you might have unlimited hosting, but you don't have unlimited memory or CPUs. And each time you put another WordPress install, it takes up a little bit of those resources, the memory and the CPUs. So you can also get rid of some of the unnecessary plugins. Keep that in mind. I mean, a lot of times I see people have plugins that they will use for like a one-off task and then they'll just leave them running. You go ahead and turn all those off. Those also represent a security risk. So after you have everything cleaned up, check out the site speed accelerator and thanks to Ezoic, there's a link in the show notes so you could check out their stuff over there. They have a great blog too. I don't talk about their blog enough, but it's very good. All right. Now, Going a little deeper, I think Steven says maybe just a general show about audience sizes of various people and when they created a course or membership site. Okay, so that one's more of just a kind of a statement there. But I mean, in general, I would say if you're thinking of doing anything, go ahead and get started right away. Whatever it is, you don't have to put too much pressure on yourself. I know I currently have this podcast, the blog, and YouTube. And I have neglected the blog a lot in the last couple of years because I've spent more time on you know, YouTube and the podcast. It's been fine. And I think in some ways, like I've kind of made a mistake in that if I would have consistently, right? Time is your friend. When you, when you look back, you're like, oh, I consistently put out two podcast episodes per week. So now I have, you know, coming up on 200 episodes really soon here. And if I would have just published, you know, say two articles per month that were keyword driven on niche site project and just put in the time or hired someone to do the writing for me, then I'd have potentially a lot more articles that could be ranking, bringing in more traffic, building that email list. And for me, the email list is sort of the the big metric. That's how I do all my marketing. I've tried um, web webinars before. I didn't really have much luck with those. Perhaps I didn't put enough reps in to figure out how to sell on a webinar. But I mean, I think by the time I got to webinars, they were a little bit overdone in this internet marketing space. And for me, email is very effective. I like writing the emails. I like putting together the, you know, the campaigns or the autoresponders, whatever it is I'm working on. And it seems to work pretty well. And I, I didn't notice any issues when I, I guess (laughs) I only tried the webinars like two or three times, but I didn't find a boost by using the webinars. So there's no issues with my email marketing. So anyway, I encourage you to get started in whatever medium you're the most comfortable with. Some people can sit in front of the camera and talk and talk and talk. Go on YouTube. If you don't want to be on camera, but you still like to talk, a podcast is great. I think podcast, or at least in in my situation here, my podcast hasn't really grown as much as I expected. But at the same time, you know, I have to step back and, and look at the eight other things that I'm working on and um, realize that it's not going to magically happen on its own. It doesn't have, you know, the same kind of viral potential as a YouTube video. By the way, I've never had like a viral YouTube video. I've had a couple that have done better or worse, but never anything that has gone viral. And I think part of it is my approach of 
really niching down and talking about something super specific and not being sensational. A lot of videos that go viral have, you know, some sort of crazy headline, some, I mean, it would have a viral component in there. And a lot of times mine do not, mine don't. But going back to Seth's article, I mean, really it's these people that are really interested in success stories and making money online and doing this stuff on the side. They're interested in all those gory details. And when you, you know, when you go higher up in the sort of topic area, people are lost. They don't know what we're talking about. So it takes a little while. You have to have a little bit of information ahead of time. And maybe I'm making excuses for myself too. I'm not quite sure, but I find that podcasts maybe will take a little bit more time or you have to kind of crack the the nut, figure out exactly how to market it in a smart way to, you know, grow it a little faster. And I haven't done it. I've tried a couple things here and there, but nothing has been, um, is a a big of a move as what I would have expected. So I don't know, pick whatever you're best at and do that. So, and if you, if you don't like talking, you want to write, you know, start a blog, you may have to be a little creative these days and, and maybe go, go to other platforms. You may have to spend some time on social media. I know people maybe spend more time in, I have no data, I'm just making this up, maybe spend more time in Facebook groups than they do out there reading blog posts. I'm not sure, maybe depends on the blog post and what the person's trying to look for, but the whole point here is you could spend time on the things that you're interested in that uh, basically you're good at. So if you don't wanna be on camera and it freaks you out, then skip YouTube, do something else. Don't let it hold you back. And that said, keep in mind that you should look at this stuff on a very long timeline. I know we're, we're all impatient. We all want to start faster. We want to grow our you know, platform or whatever, you know, our blog, our podcast, and we want everything to go faster. But everything is probably going to take longer than you think. <laughs> Everything's a little bit harder than you think. There's going to be other issues that arise. Life situations are going to happen and you're going to get a little busier. You're not going to be able to work on things as much as you think. At least that's that's what I've seen most of the time. Everything's a little bit harder and I'm decent at estimating how much time a task will take, but I usually underestimate things and when I write down a, a to-do list, which I, I really don't write down a to-do list in the same way that everyone may be thinking, but when I write down my stuff, usually I have a much better day if I just write down one or two things and just work on those and then I feel pretty good about that versus writing uh, a massive list where essentially you never finish. <laughs> that, that's no fun. So anyway, just think about these things and whatever platform you're going to get started in. Think about it in, you know, three-year increments, something like that. That will take a lot of the pressure off. And it's really hard. I mean, if you think to yourself, hey, I want to start a YouTube channel and I want to hit 100,000 subscribers, um, even if you had unlimited resources, that's kind of hard to do. I mean, if you had unlimited resources, I would guess that a lot of people still wouldn't be able to hit 100,000 subscribers in a year. There's a lot of things out of your control and there's a lot of things you'll have to learn along the way. 
So think about things on a longer time frame. It takes the pressure off. And, you know, like I said earlier, if I just would have published even just one article per month on Niche Site Project over the past three years, that's a decent amount of content. It adds up over time. So look at it that way. You'll learn, you'll learn a lot as you're producing your content, as you're trying to you know, build your platform, build your audience in each step of the way. You know, hopefully you can add another layer of skill. I didn't start all of these things all at the same time. I basically worked two to three years on each one of them before I moved on to the next. And then it's a little easier to, you know, layer on another piece of content like a podcast or YouTube or whatever. So it, it takes a little time to like, get comfortable with producing content in whatever medium. And then it's a little bit easier to move on to the next. And it's very helpful that, I mean, I can talk about the same exact topics. It's just a different medium. Sometimes I record it on video. Sometimes it's just audio like this. And occasionally, you know, I write it down. I need to write. I need to write more, by the way. So the next segment coming up here is the Q&A, and that is sponsored by the Niche Website Builders. They are sort of a newer company. They're new around the block here, but I've been working with them for a few months already. And they were affiliate marketers. They still are. They have uh, six-figure portfolios, each of the two owners. And they weren't happy with the other companies, the other agencies out there. So... You can get content written by them. You can actually save 10%. No, I always get this wrong. You can get 10% additional content if you order one of their uh, ongoing plans. So you need to uh, follow the link in the show notes here, and then you'll be able to get the coupon codes. And the thing that I'm pretty pumped about is their Shotgun Skyscraper campaign. So they've been working on my campaign for, I think, three and a half months, something like that. I have 20 links total, and the average domain rating is reported by Ahrefs is 59.7. Now, honestly, I thought I was going to have a few more links than this at this point in time. However, I also thought that the domain rating was going to be a little bit lower. So I will actually take this. I'm happy to see such high domain rating. And the last time that I checked my domain rating on my site was still only three. So it's actually pretty low. And the URL rating on the homepage is 22. So it's starting starting to creep up. And I'm not sure how long it takes for hrefs to update those those metrics over there but i mean i do see a lot more links going to the site in general and the site is about i think it's about four i started in july so we got july august september october it's about four months old so they've been working on it um, almost from the beginning so i will keep you updated and i'm using for your reference i'm using the budget plan so they are going to be publishing a new article pretty soon another skyscraper article i think it's clocking in at about six thousand words and then they're going to start the link building to that so thanks to niche website builders okay the other question that i got was from sharya sharya jan so sharya's over on the email list sorry if i'm mispronouncing your name i'm doing doing the best i can so 
He is on the email list. And if you are not on the email list, you can go to nichesiteproject.com, click the green button, and then enter your name and email. So he has a link swapping Facebook group, and he wants to get more bloggers in it. He says it's pretty active, but with more members, people will have more link collaboration opportunities. Any ideas what I could do? All right. So I do have a few ideas. And one thing, I'm not going to promote it here because I don't know. I mean, uh, Sharya invited me and I I just don't do Facebook and I'm not generally link swapping and I, I don't really care that much. Basically, so I, I didn't participate much. He invited me in the group, which I appreciated a lot. And a couple of things that he's doing really well. So he was like, Hey, you could check it out. And by the way, hey, I like your courses that you're doing. So why don't I just promote the courses in my Facebook group? And I thought, Hey, that's great. That, that's a really nice thing to do. And it's a good way to you know, extend some kind things before asking for anything. So like I said, I'm not going to mention the group here just because I don't know what's going on in there. I don't know the quality or anything like that. So you almost got me to, to do it, but I'll, I'll give you some ideas. So number one, I think you probably could go to other people that are like me, but maybe they're not such tight asses, right? Maybe they're a little bit more generous. And I I will tell you this right now. So when I started, you know, I was thinking back to when I first started blogging, we're talking 2013, 2014, whenever I got a offer, right? Whenever I got an opportunity, someone would email me and they would say, Hey, I have this um, software product. I have a WordPress theme. I'm doing a promo and I'll make you an affiliate. We're paying out blah, blah, blah. I would try really hard to promote it. And I think, I mean, I know it came off really salesy because I didn't know what I was doing. I was trying to write in the voice of the other emails that I was receiving. And, you know, it really wasn't how I talk. It's not the kind of products that I would want to promote or anything like that. So the, the point I'm trying to make is when people get started blogging or with their YouTube channel, they may be just so eager to promote something that they'll promote almost anything. And I mean, your group, Sharia, is, it's a free group. It's just people, you know, hooking up together. And by the way, I think it's a great way to build a platform and to build an audience because you potentially could get a few thousand people in your Facebook group with very little spend. You don't even have to have a website and you would be able to promote your own products or services or whatever you want within that group right? You would be able to potentially promote. I mean, actually, I let you know, I was like, hey, if you're promoting my courses within your group, I'll make you an affiliate. That's great. If, you, if you're going to do that and a couple people come through, happy to, you know, make this uh, official affiliate relationship here. But anyway, the point is, if you go to people that are a little bit newer, they may be more likely to just promote your stuff. Especially, I mean, you're not selling anything. You just want some more people into your Facebook group, which seems fine. So honestly, I would let you know, I will let you know, you should probably try and contact people that I have interviewed that have YouTube channels or podcasts or something like that, because they may be more likely to promote. 
now. I mean, I feel like I have a small, small little uh, podcast and, and YouTube channel and stuff, but I really, I tried to only bring products or, you know, offers to the table that I've tried, that I've really, I really believe in. And sometimes, you know, I've worked with companies and I was like, you know what, that sucked. I'm not going to promote them anymore. And, you know, part of that, it, it sucks that I promoted them at the beginning, but at least I am, you know, I guess, correcting the issue. I'm correcting the issue if I've screwed up. And I mean, I, sometimes companies are good and then they, they grow too fast and uh, their services go down in quality. I mean, that's, that's just an issue that happens. People expand too quickly. So when I saw that happening, then, you know, some companies I don't work with anymore. So, and by the way, just because I don't work with a company doesn't mean there was an issue. Sometimes I just stop working with people for, for no reason other than, Hey, I'm going to do something else. So, okay. As far as other ideas, I would say you may be able to run some ads, right? So that I, I think I replied back also, and I was like, Hey, you could run ads. You could try to get people to join your Facebook group by, you know, getting out there. You could put ads all over the place. If you want to, you actually could potentially put ads, get like ad placements on small YouTube channels. So that's an interesting way to, you know, allow someone to monetize. And I mentioned before, you know, ads on YouTube, if you're looking at AdSense revenue, it's pretty low. So if you go to someone and you're like, hey, I'll give you 50 bucks if you do a video on this topic, or if you do a live stream, I'll give you 50 bucks. That's probably way more than they're going to earn over the life of the video, depending on what the video topic is, especially for like a live stream. If, if you can get someone to um, do a live read for you, that's awesome. That's a, a great route to go. And the other way is to get your members in the group to tell their friends, give them some sort of a bonus. You may be able to say, hey, I'll, I'll give you a, I'll, you know, we'll do like a one-on-one -on -one little 15 minute coaching session. If you can bring two people into the group, you know, share in other groups further, right? If you can try to connect with other Facebook group owners, you may be able to do that by featuring them as an expert in your Facebook group. So maybe Maybe you could record it. You know, if you're a, a video person, you, you can do a little interview where you actually record it. And, oh, man, I think I got a sneeze here. I'll mute. Oh, man, I got a little, little tickle in my nose there. So, okay. So if you can connect with other Facebook owners and so Facebook owners, Facebook group owners, then you potentially could feature them in your group. So they get some positive coverage there. And then most likely you would be able to ask them to, you know, promote whatever that interview was. Now, you may not be able to put it in your group. Maybe you put it in your group and then you place it on your blog or something like that. So there's actually some, uh, you know, actual external content outside of your Facebook group. But the point is connect with Facebook group owners. It's literally the exact kind of audience that you want to get in touch with. So, if you go to that platform, that's going to probably be better than say, if you 
tried to run an ad on this podcast, right? These are podcast listeners. They may not be into Facebook, but if you go to Facebook groups, that's a great way to pull people into your group. So I'm trying to think if there's any other good suggestions. And I think that last one is probably, it's going to be the most effective. Again, it's the right audience. It is literally people that are in Facebook groups already and they want to be in other Facebook groups, probably. Not always, but probably so. So I hope that is helpful for you. Uh, Let me know how it goes. And I think, if I remember right, I think your group's pretty young. So a lot of times, you know, it's just going to take a little time for it to, to grow. Now, This is not a question that was asked, but I'm going to throw it into this Q&A segment. I caution people to build their platforms on someone else's real estate. So you're building a Facebook group, and right now Facebook groups are hot. I assume in the next, whatever, one to two years, Facebook is probably going to make it harder for you to get in touch with the people in your group. That's just kind of what they do. We saw this before in a few years ago. I can't remember. It was like 2014 or so. People built up huge Facebook pages or fan pages or whatever. And they were able to you know, reach everyone really easily for, for a while. And then all of a sudden, they had to pay to reach anyone in their audience. Their organic reach went down by you know, a huge amount. And... There were people that uh, sort of didn't have the business model to support that extra advertising cost. So highly recommend to get people off of those platforms. I mean, I, I say that as I am putting a lot of time into YouTube, but the fact is I try and pull people off of YouTube and I, I kind of do YouTube on my own speed. I mean, I'm publishing these long, long interviews that don't get as many views versus, you know, trying to publish, uh, I guess, videos that people are more likely to watch and to potentially be more viral. So I just kind of publish the videos that I enjoy creating. There's enough people to sustain it. And I'm happy with that. But the, the whole point is here. If you build the group, make sure you have a mechanism where at least you're pulling a portion of the people off of Facebook and get them to join your email list or something. Because at some point in time, the Facebook groups are going to be a lot harder for, um, you know, the organizers to reach. That's just my opinion. But I mean, basically, Facebook is making groups favorable right now. And usually they try to rope you in and then they'll start charging you for it. It's just, it's just what they do. Like we've seen it so many times, we shouldn't be surprised. And I think it's a great way to build a community and stuff. Um, but also I, I hate Facebook. So wrong person to, uh, take, (laughs) to take advice on Facebook groups. But, um, I mean, I think those marketing ideas are solid. I think those are pretty solid. And yeah, sorry about the sneeze earlier. That really came out of nowhere. I'm not a big sneezer and uh, it's not dusty in here or anything. I just kind of cleaned up in the office. So, okay. I think, I think that concludes. Let me see if we got one more question here. Let me check. I knew I had one more. This one's from Jeff and it's about website speed. Google likes fast loading websites. However, my site loads in two seconds without Google AdSense, but with AdSense, it loads in four seconds. So that is 
contradictory by Google as they want fast sites, but AdSense slows the site down. What's the solution for that? Okay. I will, you know, give a shout out to the Ezoic Site Speed Accelerator. So if you're, you know, showing ads and you monetize that way on your website, definitely check out Ezoic. It should help. I have heard a few people mention that their sites load faster with the ads because they're using the site speed accelerator. And keep in mind, you do need to be able to, um, you know, earn enough money. I would say earn enough money to pay for, you know, the service of the site speed accelerator. You can get a seven day free trial to check it out to see how much it'll help your site, but it does, you know, cost money. Now, the thing is, there's no solution to this, by the way, Jeff. So ads will always slow down your site whether it's uh, Ezoic or AdThrive or AdSense or whatever, they're loading a bunch of shitty scripts on your site. They're showing potentially videos and stuff. No offense, Ezoic or anybody else. Well, especially Ezoic who's sponsoring the show. But the the point is there's extra stuff being loaded on your site and there's extra calls. So the script is calling some other server. There's a request. It has to wait to get the response back. Sometimes there's real-time auction happening. So that means there's uh, some computations and some other, you know, basically there's work to be done. There's things that have to happen like while that's going on. So with all that in mind, it's just going to take longer. And I know um, I've seen... I've seen some sites where maybe they have multiple ad networks on there and I don't know, like 40 plugins. And basically it takes like 38 seconds or 90 seconds for the site to load. It never quite finishes. Nowadays, there are more sophisticated plugins that help sort things out and load in a in a way that doesn't slow the site down as much. But basically, if you put ads on your site, it is going to slow it down. So my recommendation, of course, is, I mean, if your site's loading in under two seconds, that's pretty good. If you could shave it down a little bit more and get it to load under a second, then, of course, you know, your AdSense is still going to slow it down, but at least everything is loading a little bit faster. So it's, it is tough to do. There's the things that I mentioned before with minifying your uh, CSS and HTML, make sure your images are the proper size. So don't have a huge resolution. If you're only going to show, you know, a a thousand pixels wide, don't have, you know, 2,400 pixels wide. A lot of people are probably on their phone or smaller device. They don't really care as much depending on, you know, what it is. If you're hosting a bunch of images and they really do care about the, um, you know, the quality of the the photo and the compression and all that. But basically, if you make your images a lot smaller, make them the size that they need to be, not as big as you have them, and then compress them after that, they may not look quite as good, but they're still probably going to look pretty good. The other thing is having a theme that isn't bloated. I really like Focus, the Focus WordPress theme right now. And it loads very fast. It does what I needed to do. There's not a lot of bloat. In a lot of ways, this focus WordPress theme is kind of going in the opposite direction from a lot of the market and kind of the opposite direction of like where, uh, you know what, I won't say from where WordPress is going, but I mean, WordPress put in that um, 
the Gutenberg editor, the block editor. So you could format things a little bit um, differently with blocks, but at the same time, it adds a lot of extra code and a lot of complexity that is really just unnecessary in my opinion. So make sure you got a fast theme, don't have too many plugins, get everything optimized before you put AdSense or anything else. And then when you add the AdSense back on, then hopefully it's loading as, as fast as, as as they can get it going. So that's my advice there. And like I said, the sad part is anytime you're you're adding more calls, you're adding more scripts that need to run, it's just gonna go a little bit slower. Thank you to Niche Website Builders. And if you are interested in the Shotgun Skyscraper campaign, like I said, I have the budget option and they're doing a great job. It's a brand new site. I think it's important to you know get those links coming early on. And this is our Q&A segment. So thanks a lot. I'm gonna end it here since I feel like I'm gonna sneeze again, but we are coming up pretty close to 200 episodes, which is cool. I don't know what the topic is gonna be for that day, but it's coming up in a couple of weeks. So have a great day out there. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much for listening to The Doug Show. I really do appreciate it. I mean, I'm just sitting here at my computer recording stuff and uh, you're listening to it. And I think that's awesome. If you enjoy the show and you know someone who maybe would be interested in it, please let them know. I think it would be fantastic if you help spread the word. If you are not signed up for the Niche Site Project email list, well, you're in luck. All you have to do is go to nichesiteproject.com, click the green button, enter your name and email address, and I'll send you a bunch of cool stuff about affiliate marketing, productivity, including all my templates. If you happen to not be subscribed to this podcast, please do subscribe. And don't forget, I welcome your questions. So you could send uh, your emails to feedback at doug.show. I got that really cool domain, doug.show, that's it. So feedback at doug.show. Or I'm going to leave my voicemail number in the show notes. So all you have to do is give me a buzz, leave a voicemail, and then I'll potentially put you on the air. So looking forward to it and we'll catch you next time.